This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today's topic is decluttering your financial life. And with me today, I have financial advisor Byron Palsma. Good morning, Byron. Good morning, Mary. We are kind of excited to talk about this topic, and um, there are so many times that people ask us questions about how long should I keep my records, what do I need to keep, what can I get rid of. It, people tend to get a little overwhelmed with all the paper and the clutter from the financial side of things. That's right. I think there's a fear that I might need this someday. Yes. And because of that, I think uh, people maybe defer and just keep stuff that they maybe do not need to keep. I think you're right about that. I think that people tend to err on the side of keeping too much, <laughs> and then they end up with mounds and mounds and mounds of paperwork that they're not quite sure what they really need to do with it. Yeah, every once in a while we hear a situation where somebody has to, maybe their parent passes away, mm-hmm. so they have to go into the house and look at records, et cetera. Oh, and- Yeah. They have stuff from years and decades ago. Yep, yep, exactly. So we have a few things that we thought we would go over today with our listeners to help you understand what are some good tips to declutter your financial life, what kind of records need to be kept, for how long should they be kept, and then also what are some strategies to keep yourself decluttered once you've taken the the steps to actually go through and clean some things out. So the very first thing that I would say is that you do want to make sure that if you're destroying financial records, that you're careful about the way that you destroy them. You don't want to throw out anything that has personal or identifying information on it. That's right. Uh, Shredding is probably the best policy for those. Absolutely. And Most of the time with the shredding services, you're going to either have so much that it's going to take a long time to actually kind of feed it through your own personal shredder. But a lot of times, the people that you work with, the professionals in your life would be happy if you wanted to just bring in a pile of stuff and leave it for them to shred. Because most professional offices have shredding services that do it in large amounts of bulk. So if you go through a cleansing exercise in your house, if you're decluttering, you might check with your financial team or your CPA or or your attorneys or something like that to see if they would allow you to drop some things off for them to shred for you. Yeah, a lot of documents uh, Mm -hmm. that would take a lot of time with some of those smaller shredders. Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's dive into what are the financial records that you should keep and then for how long. So there's definitely some things that you want to keep forever that that you do not want to go ahead and get rid of. And some of the originals, you you might want to keep a digital copy somewhere for easy access, but there are certain things that you should keep the originals of. So original copies of things like birth and death certificates, adoption papers, citizenship papers, and military records, those are some of the things that make a lot of sense to always hold on to the original. Right. And a few other ones uh, would be, for instance, passports Mm -hmm. uh, would be something. Social security cards. If you have children, you know, every once in a while you have to produce their birth certificate or a social security card or something like that. So those are some items that you you need to keep. The other things that we think are important to keep a hold of for 
the originals for always are things like marriage and divorce papers or immunization records, and of course, copies of your wills and trusts that have the actual original signature on them. So if, you, if you're thinking through what are the important things to keep forever, that's a pretty good comprehensive list of what are things that need to be kept for, for the originals. Now, anything else that you have that actually has a notarized signature on it, or especially if it has one of the seals on it that is kind of like the raised bumpy seal on it, generally speaking, that's a good original to keep as well. Yeah, those papers that make you feel like royalty because they have some special seal yes. on them. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So those are the things to keep forever in the original form. And probably a good idea to also have a digital copy just in case. There are some other records, though, that are things that really don't need to be kept forever but need to be kept for a while. And there's a lot of different information out there. Oh, you could keep this for three years or five years or seven years or this, that, and the other thing. But really seven years is kind of the most commonly accepted number. And there's some different reasons for that with different laws surrounding taxes and regulations and rules and things like that. So we're going to go ahead and kind of get on board with the seven-year number. (laughs) and tell you that for seven years after the date that you no longer own something, these are some records that you should keep. So anything that are real estate closing documents, receipts for your home improvements that might affect the value of the home, like installing a new air conditioner, putting a new roof on your house, a remodel or something like that, titles or deeds to things that you own, any type of refinancing documents, and then anything that is related to your investments. So, Byron, share with our listeners, like, when you're thinking about the investments, what kind of records should be kept for that seven years? Well, one of the things you'd look at is probably statements. Mm -hmm. And you probably would not need to keep monthly or quarterly statements, but do hold them until your annual statement comes in. Exactly. So probably the best practice would be just keep those annual statements every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some tax implications with that, maybe declaring losses that you may be able to spread out over a number of years. So that might be one reason that you want to keep those for that time period. Yeah, and Byron really hit the nail on the head, especially when it comes to statements. I know that our clients frequently complain about the fact that they get so much mail. Yeah, Mary, one of the probably biggest villains of the paper clutter problem is the financial services industry. Yes, for sure. (laughs) I'm sure that people that are listening are relating to the fact because you get prospectuses in the mail, you get these books, and we have people say, you know, am I supposed to read those? (laughs) And the answer is you can if you want to. But generally speaking, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, if you want to pull out a prospectus, my hunch is your insomnia will go right away. (laughs) Kind of like paper NyQuil or something like that to help you sleep. (laughs) It's an ambient for you. (laughs) All right. So seven years is when you should be, is the length of time you should be keeping those type of documents. The other thing that you're going to want to make sure that you're keeping the records on is um, your tax documents. 
Now, you technically really only have to keep them for six years, but you might as well just lump them into your seven-year holding. The reason we say that the tax documents could be six years is because the IRS has six years to challenge your return if it thinks that you underreported your gross income by 25% or more. So because that's the challenge period for the IRS, then that's something that you you definitely want to hold on to those records to have proof if you need to go get into a nasty fight with the IRS. Okay, so in terms of keeping those records, now you know what to keep, but let's talk a little bit about where might be a good idea to store some of those actual original documents and, and how might you want to go ahead and store your digital copies of things? One of the traditional things, Mary, that people have done over the years has been uh, go ahead and get a bank safe deposit box. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are still available. It's relatively inexpensive. And that's, that's one way to, uh, to keep those records. Right. And, and I think that probably is the best way to keep the original documents is in a safe bank deposit box. A lot of people will also keep them in some type of fireproof safe or something like that in their basement. But even the fireproof safe sometimes are impen- not impenetrable and you could have some issues if you had a significant disaster. So it tends to be the safest, you know, to have that safety deposit box at the bank. And usually, like Byron said, they're, they are inexpensive. They're usually less than $100 a year to have one. So I think that that's a good idea. Now, it's kind of funny sometimes because when people have those safe deposit boxes and they stuff things in them, they might not go visit them for a year or two, and then they completely forget what's in there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I have people that when we're doing their planning and they need to get copies of their stuff and they they make their visit to their safety deposit box are kind of surprised about what they actually put in there. Yes. Sometimes you might find an old life insurance policy that maybe parents took out for kids Mm -hmm. years and years ago. And uh, that could be something you might find in a a safe deposit box. Yes. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about decluttering your financial life. Now, I don't know how many of you out there have read the book that's called The Magical Art of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, but it's kind of a phenomenon that has swept the globe, and now she has a show on Netflix that's called The Magical Art of Tidying Up. And it's kind of funny because you see her go into people's homes who have a lot of clutter, they have a lot of stuff, and people are just kind of overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that they have and to try to get organized. What's that lady's phone number, Mary? Maybe I can use some help. (laughs) I think she probably isn't just taking calls anymore. She's so famous now. But anyway, she's got this kind of cute way of of filtering through the things that you want to keep. And one of the questions that she asks is, does this spark joy? And she suggests that you only keep the things that actually spark joy. Well, I think that that works for a lot of things, but I'm 100% sure that doesn't really work for financial records. Uh, Especially taxes. (laughs) There you go. So whether or not this decluttering process is going to spark joy for you, it's still a good idea to do it. 
<laughs> and I'm telling you what, if you do declutter your financial records and you declutter your financial life, I think you will find some slices of joy that were covered up by all of the mess and the paperwork. So let's hope we can spark some joy underneath it there. Okay, I promised that when we came back from our break, we would talk about the digital storage of your financial records and what are some of the things to be thinking about with that. So there are multiple ways that someone can store files digitally. You can do it on your own computer. You can do it in the cloud. You can do it on external hard drives. There's a lot of different um, ways that you can do it. Um, but what you want to make sure that you are doing, if you have digital records stored somewhere, is that you have some redundancy in the terms of having a backup. You don't want to go to all the trouble to digitize your financial records and then have a computer crash and lose them all. That would be very painful, I think, for people. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you're thinking about um, how to actually store your records, the first thing that you really want to think about is the place that you want to do it. So Byron, for, for people that you're working with, what are some of the most common places that they store things? Well, generally they would have their own own computer mm -hmm. and, and work with work their own system as far as different uh, different folders that they work with, etc. Yep. Some people do it better than <laughs> others. <laughs> right. So when you're when you're deciding not only where to save things, you're gonna want to decide how to save things. And what that means is that you'll want to settle on some type of naming convention. So sometimes people will save everything starting with the year that they're saving it. Sometimes people will group it by the type of document that, you know, maybe you have files that are tax documents and inside there it's by year. Some people just have the years and inside each year there's a file for tax documents. So there's not any one right or way, right or wrong way to do it. The idea here, though, is to have some type of naming convention that makes sense that you can follow. And ideally, it's something that if something happened to you, someone else could come in and follow it as well to figure right. out how to source your important information. Yeah, if you use too broad of categories, it's, you're just going to add to the work to try to find things within those categories. And if you have too many categories, then you're just mm -hmm. making it hard. Which one is the right one? So, yeah, but whatever works for you. And it would not be a bad idea to share the system also, like with your uh, kids. So mm -hmm. if in the situation comes up where they need to get into it, they will know a little bit about your system and how you work. Now, a lot of people get very concerned about digital privacy, and I am 100% on board with the fact that that is an issue. Um, but people can steal your paper documents just as easily as they could steal your electronic documents if they actually wanted to. So there are several services that are out there in the cloud that you can electronically store documents um, a lot of people will store their records on their own computer and have their backup be in the cloud. And that's not a bad idea as long as you feel comfortable with the layers of security that are out there. Um, if you want to add a layer of protection on your personal computer, let's say you're working on a laptop and you take it with you different places, it's a good idea to put some type of password access to that main folder that you have your documents in just to keep it uh, a little bit more difficult for someone to go look at all of your records. Another thing is you want to make sure that you have your computer security software up to date to ward off cyber criminals. 
because they're out there and they're going to come for it. (laughs) So the digital storage, the way you do it, how you do it, and things like that is very important. And there are companies out there that uh, if this feels daunting for you to go through that, there there are services that that can help you with, with the, uh, the storage aspect of things. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that we've created for people is called the Financial Inventory Tracker. And the Financial Inventory Tracker is a document. If you'd like to get a copy of it, you are welcome to call us or email us, and we'll send you the digital version of the Financial Inventory Tracker. It basically is a, a document where you can make note of the main items that you have and where to find those documents. Um, and it's very helpful for you, but it's also helpful, especially if you have a spouse that doesn't control the money, for them to know what you have kind of in an overview and in a nutshell and to be able to go find where those records are. Yeah, often within a household, one of the spouses runs the money, shall mm-hmm. we say, so it's important to uh, uh, to let the other spouse know a little bit about what's going on yes. in, in case of, you know, something happens. Now, in terms of tracking your inventory also, there's some different things out there that is often a good idea to do just to keep track of what some of the things you have are. So sometimes people are doing things like making a video of their possessions. And, and why would you do that? Well, one of the things would be, for instance, an, an insurance claim. You have a, a house fire and everything's destroyed. A mm-hmm. uh, good way to have a record of it would be to have a video of of what you have in it. Uh, yes. So, yes, mm-hmm. take time to do that is a good idea. I think it's a very good idea. My daughter had a house fire and um, she didn't have a video, but she had pictures of, um, you know, things going on in her home that we were able to go back to the pictures and say oh yeah you had this at the time you had this at the time but I know that we missed stuff because it wasn't a specific look at everything that she really had so taking time to create a video like that taking time to you can do it on your iPhone or your Android phone whatever phone you have you can easily make a video nowadays and then keep that somewhere safe in case you ever need it for an insurance claim all right Along with the decluttering of your records, there are ways to declutter your financial life on a current basis, not so much worrying about all of the past stuff you have, but how do you stay current with being decluttered once you get there? Um, So some people need to start with the old stuff and then move into current. Some people just need to get their current stuff going in something paperless and attack the decluttering of the past records later. (laughs) There's no particular order you have to go in with us. The key is to make the attempt to to get started one way or the other. Absolutely. So if you can, if you're able, if you feel tech savvy enough, the more paperless that you go with all of your record keeping and with all of your bill paying and things like that, the better off that you're going to be from a decluttering standpoint. So many, many companies offer some type of online bill paying. So if you have things that are coming in the mail to you and cluttering up your mailbox and then you have to file that piece of paper after you pay it and attach the receipt and da 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 maybe it's going to be easier for you to see if that particular company would allow the bill and the bill paying to be done online. 
more than likely when you get the paper bill, there's going to be a, a note on there, go paperless. Yes. And, and the company has incentive, too, to save on postage. They so, do. Mm -hmm. So it kind of works both ways. Yep. There's advance, advan advantages on both sides of that. And if you um, can't do the online bill pay, then you might still have a small stack of bills and then you can digitize the records after. You could scan the documents and save them that way rather than have paper files. Um, but, but scoping that out is a good idea. Now, if you're going to do that, you definitely want to make sure you have some master document that tells you how to pay your online bills. So don't just start paying them and not be keeping track of them. You're going to want to have some document that says, my electric bill gets paid online. It comes out of my account usually this month, this day of the month. And here's how I go find that information online. Like here's the account information. Here's the website to go to and things like that. Because you might know how to do that. But again, if something happens to you and everything's digitized, those bill paying that are digitized are the easiest things for your loved ones to miss if they're trying to figure something out about your estate planning. That's right. Often our bills are triggered in our minds because we may get it in the mail or something like that. But you have to rethink that and then set up an email system and pay yep. attention to your emails. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in order to make sure you stay current. So one of the good tips um, of going paperless and creating some online bill pain is to say, okay, going forward, whenever I get something in the mail... I'm going to use that as my opportunity to try to set it up on an online bill pay. And then eventually your mail will be cold down to just the junk and the, you know, things that, that are not necessarily bills or things like that that you need to keep digital records of. So if you just do it step by step as mail comes in, then within a couple of months or usually within a quarter, most of the time you will have attacked the bills that are repetitive bills that you would want to set up on some type of online bill pay. Right. Another another uh, incentive with that is that if you can do it on the same day, you don't have to worry about, is my check going to get lost in the mail? Yes. Am I going to have a late payment? Things like that. So it's nice to have that solid, get it paid this day, and you know it's paid. Yeah, and that can actually be helpful for your credit records, too. Most definitely. All right. Well, we hope that listening to this decluttering your financial life topic is giving you some good things to think about. And if you take action, we hope that it ends up sparking a little joy for you. <laughs> so thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.